Hi, I'm Desiree, and this is Sharga Love Stories. It's our last episode of 2021, and just in time for the holidays, I knew we had to talk about the one thing we're all thinking about deep in our hearts, and that is food. And in the Philippines, food and love go hand in hand. In this episode, I chat with three incredible Filipino chefs from Shargao, each with unique styles, different experiences, perspectives, and philosophies on food. You'll first hear from David Del Rosario from the wildly popular Kinilao-only spot in Shargao called Sev about leaving his corporate job to pursue his passion and purpose as a chef. And then I speak with vegan chef and owner of Malasa, Ramon Pastelero, about how his way of cooking connects with his spirituality. And last but not least, we talk to the one and only chef Andrew Malarkey from the restaurant Wild about embracing our Filipinoness, using food as a bridge towards our own identity. You'll get to know them all pretty soon, so I'll let them do all the talking. But what does tie these very different chefs together is their love of food and their craft. Such a beautiful episode, and your stomachs will be grumbling, but hearts full after. Thanks for listening. No, I'm loving this right now. We just had our beers. Um, you came straight from work. You came straight from Sev. Mm-hmm, yep. How was that? How was work? Was it um, busy? Busy, yeah. I actually took the day off today, so I didn't work. Oh, really? <laughs> but I still had to get the cash box. So I went there to get the cash box and give some tacos to my staff because I ordered too much for myself. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was hungry, but I ended up not super hungry, so I gave it to my staff. That's nice. What did you do on your day off? Um, I was spending it with Charlotte, my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. We brought brother to Surfing Temple, and then we showed some friends the new house that's almost complete, and uh, that's it. What's been going on there? How have you been? Like, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, a little burnt out. Yeah. From a very busy October. And I'm short-staffed, so I'm super burnt out, actually, not a little. When was it that, um, now I'm forgetting time, because I never know time anymore. When was uh, tourism open again? I don't remember. Yeah, (laughs) I think, I I mean, it got super busy in October. Yeah. Um, Were you prepared for it? Yeah, we were, but Uh I think mentally I wasn't. Mentally, you weren't. Yeah, yeah. I would say because it was pretty chill. Yeah, before. and then all of a sudden you get like a wave of tourists, which is great for the business. But I think having two years of calm and quiet, you kind of get used to it and you like it. So I mm-hmm. got a little jarred. Yeah, but it's okay. You, I, I guess I have to adjust. And you're in a new location now, mm-hmm. which I love. When you switched it over, because you were before you were at Loose Keys, which is one of like the big kind of crazy party bars before. Mm-hmm. And then, but now you have it in a super cool location in Bravo with the skate park. Can you describe that? And what made you decide to just move to a different location and choose that? I came across the skate bowl because, I mean, obviously it was there all the time. But I never really noticed it. And then when I saw it one day during the pandemic, I asked Alex, uh, the owner of Bravo, um, what he was planning to do with it. And at the time, he said nothing yet. There was like a small ice cream shop there. Uh, after, you know, after a few conversations, uh, 
I moved it there because it's cool, you know, mm-hmm. a skateboard. I used to skate a lot when I was younger, and so I appreciate the culture a lot. Um, it's very similar to surf culture too. Yeah. And so uh, that in itself, I'm very drawn to it already. And, you know, I always like surprising people with what I cook or like just doing something different and having a ceviche bar in the skate bowl is something very different, very surprising and something I thought would work if you come to a skate bowl expecting, you know, burgers and sandwiches and then you end up eating like a nice plate of ceviche there or kinilao. So, I mean, it's to me that type of surprise on a customer is something I think was worth trying. So you were one of the first people I met in Chiragao, actually. Oh, really? Yes. When was this? It was <laughs> October 2018. Oh. And I literally just flew in because yeah. I was doing a yoga teacher training That's at when Lotus. when Sev opened, actually. And that was when Sev opened. Oh. So it was, I think it was like, it was literally a few days after I landed. One of the first meals I've had was Sev. And I remember trying Pacifico. Ah. Yes. Yeah. Which is, for people who don't know, it's like your, sort of your take on a Peruvian ceviche. Yeah. It has like fresh sailfish, calamansi yeah. juice, coconut yeah. vinegar. I just remember tasting it and like, what is this? Like, expl- <laughs> I swear. Like explosions. Like, I just don't think... I've ever tasted anything like that because I had ceviche, but I don't think I've ever had kinilao. Yeah. So I like, you know, that scene in Ratatouille where (laughs) that movie where all of these taste explosions were coming and then also familiar to, you know, just this kind of familiarity with the taste, but it was just something new. It was just really just one of the best dishes I've ever had. Yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so tell us a bit about Sev for people who don't know yeah. what it is and what um, bring us back to why you wanted to start this Kindelau only okay. restaurant. Well, that's a long story. <laughs> but I guess we have a little bit of time. Cole's notes. Cole's but notes. before everything else, you, say, you you just describing the taste of the Pacifico and all, all that. I thought that was very interesting because that's one of the main reasons why I decided to cook professionally is because I wanted to leave that type of mark or impression on someone after eating my food that you remember it years after and you say, oh man, so good. For me, that's one of the most genuine feelings I can experience, you know, and like tasting food, it's very unique to every person, you know, no matter how much you describe the Pacifico to someone they will never really know how it tastes unless they taste it themselves. And so that's why I think eating food and like tasting things in general is so, so special. It's because it's very personal to you. And also the guy that cooks it, it he, he can't do it 100% the same each and every time. There's a small little difference, maybe a little bit of salt or a little bit more calamansi juice that day. You know, you don't know. Right. Um, and so... That time you ate the Pacifico was a very unique experience. So I, I love that because you remember it now and that I think makes cooking worth it. Thank you. But Aww. okay, sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> ah, how Seb started. <laughs> um, so Seb 
Kinilao is my favorite, one of my favorite Filipino dishes, and I think it's one of the most underappreciated Filipino dish. And I want, well, my my goal or like my dream is for the for Kinilao to be recognized as much as like adobo when you talk about mm. Filipino food because it's kind of similar, you know, something cooked, cooked quote unquote, in adobo. Ah, sorry, in vinegar. Um, but yeah, so my love for Kinilao, I wanted to to push it, but I couldn't just do a Kinilao place because Shargao at the time was, um, there was a lot of foreigners. And so I don't think they knew what Kinilao was. And mm. so I decided to mix in the ceviche there and make the name Seb. So the first impression to my target market at the time were the foreigners, the tourists, mm-hmm. was, ah, ceviche, I want to try this. And then they realized, oh, there's a local version of it, Kinilao. And so that's that's how I wanted to introduce Kinilao. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of the idea to Seb. It was actually my my thesis in cooking school. Because uh-huh. I went to cooking school and restaurant management school. And in restaurant management school, he, he had to have a business idea. And Sev was it. And you have a very interesting background. You worked in finance before. Mm-hmm. And you were a stockbroker in Manila. I was, yeah. So what compelled you to just kind of change your life? I think you're, you know, low-key an inspiration to people who kind of is like, you know, fuck it. I have to. <laughs> I just need to do this. Yeah, um... I was just, I did finance for 10 years uh, and wow. I don't regret it. I learned a lot it, a lot, it, and I apply everything I learned to my restaurant. Mm. Uh, but at the latter part of those 10 years, I already felt very empty. It was all about money, working for someone else and, you know, all that corporate mumbo jumbo. And I was very unhappy. And so what compelled me was really... Something I loved and I've always thought about ever since I was young, which is opening a restaurant and eating. Because the reason why I love, I love to cook is because I love to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I travel for food. So, yeah, so my love for food and cooking and all that, um, that's what compelled me to leave the comforts of working in finance and to uh, pursue a passion. Was there a moment, do you remember the moment where you were like, I can't do this anymore? Um, actually, yeah, kind of. It was more like I was vacationing in New York and then I saw the different restaurants there and I tasted them, you know, I did a lot of research and they were great. And so I imagined opening a restaurant similar to some of those restaurants that I ate in there and I said it would be amazing if I could do that. I think that's the purpose of my life to wow. to cook or whatever, to open a, a restaurant or something like that. And so that's what compelled me because I was already unhappy at the time and then it's just that desire to be something you believe you are. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to do that. I tried to be that someone I thought I was. What was your experience like in New York, like with all of the restaurants? And- yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of inspiration. So I also worked in a cevicheria in New York. Yes. Um, which is how I kind of learned the ins and outs of running one because I didn't really know how to efficiently run one. And I'm the type of person that likes to plan ahead, strategize. And so when I was in cooking school, a lot of my classmates, they were working or 
uh, interning in like Michelin starred restaurants. Yes. And then I asked the school if I could intern in a ceviche stall. So like in a market, it's it was the Gansford market across the Chelsea market. Mm-hmm. Just one of those stalls. It's called Mission Ceviche. And they just served ceviche. And I said, this is the perfect, this is exactly what I want to do. And so I want to learn how to run it efficiently. So I ended up interning there versus the Michelin restaurants that my classmates were interning. But it ended up being the best decision I ever made in my life because it it gave me the experience and the knowledge to run a ceviche place efficiently because it seems easy, but it's pretty hard. There's a lot of timing involved and it's challenging. Even until now, you know, we've been open for three years. Still super challenging. Oh, wow. Wait, timing. The yeah. timing of... Timing of many things, you know, like ordering the fish. I see. Um, cleaning it, doing it quickly, efficiently. You know, there's a lot of things that have to be done right at the same time. I see. And that's really cool to you when you talked about Michelin because now that Mission Ceviche was mentioned as one of the right, yeah. right the Michelin guide uh, to New York, yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. So you did make a really good decision. Yeah, after yeah, they all, ended up being a Michelin. Curve. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, they were just a stall, but now they opened the restaurant. I think after the pandemic or during, but it's still fairly new, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people rave about it. Yeah. So. I guess I was in good hands after all in the very beginning. Exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about the food because it's amazing. Like what was your creative process in coming up with these dishes? Um, in general, like when I cook, I I hate following recipes. And so I think that reflects how I don't want to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I always want to maybe have inspiration from a recipe, but not follow it 100%, put a little something that came from my head or my heart, you know, something that I think goes well with the food. And so with Sev, um, I wanted to highlight Kinilao, but then I didn't really want to do like just the authentic, normal Kinilao. I still had it though. I mean, I still have it now. Ah, actually, I took it out, but <laughs> in the beginning I had yeah. it. It's because I just want to give someone an expression of myself. Some, You know, and this is why I think cooking is also an art form kind of because you're Expressing yourself through food and the taste and the the plating and the dish, you know, the whole yeah. thing. And so, yeah, with Sev, I just wanted to be super different, creative and unique, but still give you flavors that go really well together. And so my mm-hmm. thought process for some of the dishes were, if I eat this dish, what have I eaten with it before that taste good so like with the pacifico usually it's just the boiled sweet potato under mm-hmm. but i wanted to add more so i fried the sweet potato and like uh and so it gives it a texture the crunch but also a different taste so yeah something you know ar- right. along those lines and throughout all those dishes it's a lot of thought being put in but surprisingly when i try it because it's all in my head right oh, and then i write it down on my phone and then when i try it on the first try, it already, it's like, usually it's like, whoa, okay. Like the Pacifico. Yeah. When I tried that the first time, I remember I let my friend Jap. Uh-huh. He was in, Man- we were both in Manila at the time. And I told him, come to my house. I'm going to let you try all the food of Sev, which I'm trying for the first time. When I tried the Pacifico for the first time, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. What the? 
you know, and I was like, what the hell? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so it's, cool. it surprises me. Sometimes it surprises me a lot. Okay, so there's a lot of ex- like but there's a lot of thought. thought, thought first, and then the experimentation. Yeah, also, and then sometimes you like yourself. the Pacifico, it just once, and then it's like, whoa, that's so cool. Because yeah. you have those tastes in your mind of, of what you want to. Yeah, because I think like good cooks have eaten a lot of different food. You can, I don't think I, and I believe this to to my to the bottom with the bottom of my heart. I don't think a cook can be good if he hasn't eaten a lot of things. Uh-huh. You know, if he's just like, I only like eating burgers. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. then you'll never be a good cook because you've only eaten burgers your whole life. So me, I, I love to eat. And so I like to try different things, many different things and many different funky things. And I think it that helps when you're cooking. Right. Um, because when you're trying to create something with food, you're like... um, I've eaten this before with this, and maybe they would go well together. But then I add another something that I ate before with the other ingredient. You know, like it's all about memory okay. of again what you've eaten, the taste, uh, and so you bring that together into a dish. What is it that you love about cooking and just mm. creating these dishes for people? Like, what is it? It's the memory that you give someone, right? That. Mm that taste profile that you give someone when you when they eat your dish and they remember. So this is why I cook. It's because when you share a memory to me and you tell me, man, the Pacifico, it's this and that and all that, uh, it lifts my heart a lot. It's affirmation for one, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's also like appreciation for something I love to do. And that's great, you know, when you share the love on both sides, you know, like I'm doing something I love to do and you love that thing that I love to do. And so it's a nice marriage. So I also did this this episode on the five uh, love languages before. Do you know anything about the, the like love languages, like the um, five love languages? No. Yeah. I know the love... No. <laughs> Actually, I don't want to say anything. It's okay. I might look, uh, no, because honestly, I I only recently found out about it too. And it kind of helped me a lot because I was like, oh, shit. These are the things I don't do. Um, but anyway, it's about like quality time, mm-hmm. words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. So it's almost like, I don't know, this ah, guy. Okay, I've heard about this. Yeah, before. like he kind of said that these were the official. But I think... Food should be like the official sixth language. Oh, for like sure, for sure, language. yeah, for sure. Food should be part of that that love language. The sixth too, because you know, there's nothing like eating a comforting, super good meal cooked by someone, or you know, like yeah. it it invigors you. You feel alive. I think when you eat good food, yeah, you have to dedicate the preparation a lot of, of it, time, hours yeah. to it, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, like even like a whole day prep of it, like the night before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, but then that's the real labor of love, you know. Mm -hmm. When you put in the hours in making a dough or whatever, you know. Exactly. Just to make something really good. Mm -hmm. And that's where the art form comes into. Yeah. How different is your life now compared to before? 
uh, when I was in finance. Mm-hmm. Oh, super different. I mean, it, the environment, the city also, uh, city or yeah, the environment changed because from the city I moved to uh, an island. So it's a welcome change. It was a you know a slow and difficult transition in the beginning, as one would expect. But my life is a lot more chill now. Mm-hmm. Which is great, which is one of the main reasons why I moved here. Exactly. Um, and yeah, no, it's uh, definitely, honestly, I'm more busy now <laughs> in terms of like just in my mind, I'm always thinking about the restaurant, right? But right. In, the, in the previous job, you can turn it off and go home and, you know, like, so it's give and take, I think. Yeah. More chill, but owning an, a restaurant is also like, 24 7 thing and i think it's because it's your baby too like you for sure yeah and it's hard to let go because it's my baby and my style of also like working or running this restaurant is i'm very Mm hands-on and so i can't just leave it for three days when i'm in the island you know i i can't i can't i just have to be there i have to see it i have to see what's going on now i get it what are your hopes and dreams for the future of sev or just the future mm. of you in Chargao yeah. in general? Um, for Sev, it's always up and down, left and right, different things that I struggle to like accept or like say, this is what I want. There's so many things that you can do with it. And so you can branch out to different beaches in the Philippines. A lot of people have asked if I could branch out to other countries where they're from. Um, It's very, very tempting, especially when you talk about earning more money. But I don't want to sacrifice the life that I've chosen to live here. Because if I do that, then I become a corporate slave. Not a corporate slave, but then... It's, it becomes all about the money again. Mm-hmm. And so my life will revolve around that again, making Sev work somewhere else, building another one, making Sev work, you know. It, and to a certain point, it's not coming from the heart anymore. So that's what I struggle with because as a human and as a, as a person that lives and breathes, you, you want to make money because, you know, it gives you comfort. But also making a lot of money is a lot of like, hard work, uh, turmoil, uh, failure, you know. So it's that balance that I'm trying to still find. So right now it's just focusing on Sev here, making it better, making the dishes better. Because this, to me, Sev, this is like level one. Oh, level two maybe. But there are more levels to it. I can still make it better moving forward. It's just the timing of it. I have to time it right because some point maybe someone will i'll have a competitor or at some point you know things can change and i need to have more things under my belt that i can still you know mm-hmm. bring out well yeah david you created something so beautiful and you know you're living the dream so yeah i'm just so excited for what sev is now and what it will be in the future thank you it will evolve at some point i mean for sure it will Food is so easy to like, not so easy, but like it's so fun to create something new when you're cooking something. And so that alone will will spear or spur more dishes in the future. Hopefully, hopefully I don't get too dull. 
Na. <lacht> I actually wanted to bring you on the podcast for so many reasons. One of them being is that you're honestly one of my favorite chefs. I'm super interested in hearing your take on food. And also, you're just this radiant ball of energy and light. So I'm so glad to have you on. Wow. Thanks, Des. That, that says a lot. That means a lot. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. No. So I first met you a couple of years ago when you first started as the head chef of Kalima Restaurant. Yes. Right? In yep. Lotus Shores. And so I personally remember being so excited just because I don't eat meat. And so I, <laughs> I just eat fish sometimes. And it just opened up like this whole new world for me. Like being able to eat these amazing tasty dishes in the Philippines, all vegan. I just want to know first off, like how was, how did you end up at Lotus Shores, like you were in a chef, you were a chef in Manila, no? Yes. Yeah. And then I went to Australia also and worked there and studied there uh, patisserie. But all the time I, like each job I've had previously, I was never a vegan or vegetarian chef. So this was my first time cooking vegan food mm -hmm. um, professionally. Oh, really? So how I got the job was um, I knew I wanted to move here. And then before I even came... I um, asked around and found out that there was this place called Lotus Shores and they had Kalima Cafe and that they were looking for a chef like just about the right time, the exact same time I wanted to come. And so I just sent over my CV to Lila, Louise. Yeah, we had like a video interview. And then I think a few weeks after that, I came here for a personal in interview with her and her mom. Um, yeah, and I got the job Right away. How long were you, were you studying in like culinary school? Um, yeah, so, so mostly I was trained in French and Italian cuisine. Always with meat, you know, seafood. But it was after my time in Australia when I started being vegetarian. Like it was made clear to me that being vegetarian or eating less meat generally was healthier for, for me. I mean, so I wasn't sure because they, they said that it's not for everyone. So I wanted to test it first. And so I did. I experimented on myself and I saw how it made me feel. So it made me feel better. I had more energy. I was less lethargic. I also knew, I mean, I learned about like the detrimental effects on the environment of the commercial meat industry. And that sort of hit a chord. And um, honestly, it was easy for me to eat less meat. And so I'd say maybe starting three or four years ago, I became more strict and I really took out meat for my diet. Yeah, that's when I just started experimenting and cooking for myself, friends and family, like vegan, vegetarian. You know, Philippines is literally one of the top 10 meat consuming nations in the world. <laughs> I looked this up. Really? Yeah. yeah. And the lowest vegetable intake in the in like in Asia. <laughs> Damn, that's so sad. <laughs> it's an actual like statistic. Wow, the lowest, the number one lowest. It's not the number one lowest, but one of the lowest vegetable oh intake. Like you know, that's so sad. Do you think this like um, a majority of Filipinos kind of cringe at the thought of vegetables or? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Even here in Chagao, 
it's more apparent with the pandemic happening and everything being on lockdown. And yeah, you can see with all the locals here, most there is not so much interest in vegan food. Yes. Yeah. It's only the ones who, I guess, who are curious enough to try. But it's, I think it takes a sort of a progressive kind of person or maybe adventurous, curious. Right. Why do you think that is? I guess maybe the their assumptions are that maybe one it's uh it's not filling and two it's not it's not delicious mm-hmm. or it would be bland or boring. Yeah. I've just met people who who really need their meat like every meal three times a day. Yeah. I think those would be the major reason. So I just mentioned that I consider myself a, like a pescatarian meaning my diet is predominantly vegetarian and I eat fish sometimes. Mhm. And I love food so much. I love pizza. I love like cheese. So I, I, you know, I think the idea of me becoming fully vegan is like, um, I think what I fear about it is that I'll lose certain tastes, right? Like I don't want to eat like cardboard food. Like, like bland. That's for me personally. I'm, that's why I'm like, I don't know if I could go full vegan. Like I tried like an imitation cheese to replace. How was it? Oh, I didn't. I, I just couldn't. I didn't. I didn't. I, I couldn't. think cheese is one of the hardest uh, things to, to live without and to copy as a vegan chef. Mm-hmm. I haven't had much success yeah. with uh, making vegan cheese. I mean, some kinds of cheese, like cheese sauces are easier but to make like a nice mozzarella, a vegan mozzarella that really melts with the pizza, uh, it's super hard. That's challenging. I haven't done it, no. But Rem, to be honest, I think what I love about your food so much is that you've kind of proven me wrong on that aspect with the whole taste thing. Woo-hoo, that's <laughs> no, to be hear. honest, I think you're, every vegan dish that I've tasted from you, and I've been to a lot of your pop-ups, they've just been so flavorful, like bursts of flavor and it's so interesting and so innovative and I think I think it it really does have the potential to change the game for many people who are on the fence about wanting to like become full vegan you know like so let's talk about malasa tell us what it is and how you came up with it so mostly I work from home I do pop-ups and um, malasa is my handle in in Instagram and it's what I used to to advertise and to market my events and private caterings and you know i i sell some food in some stores like spreads and breads and uh, a lot of times i people ask for things and i just give i give them what they want so malasa means uh tasty in tagalog yeah and i mean i thought of a few words to to rebrand my previous my previous name was wabi swabi right which i thought was was nice, but it was really a personal choice. And I don't think people really could relate to it so much. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to have a new name, which people could, uh, which sounded, I don't know. I, I kind of nice how, uh, I kind of like how it sounds. And yeah. Being tasty, I think. Exactly. Um, it's one of the, one of the biases people have against vegan food. It's like exactly. they think it's not tasty. So I wanted, I wanted to showcase that, you know, all my food, I really focus on it being tasty as well as healthy. Um, so that's why I named it Malasa. So I was talking about your pop-up events. I mean, you're killing it. Like, I feel like every, it's always booked up recently, especially. Yeah, it always surprises <laughs> me. Like, it's amazing. Um, it's always like the day before or maybe a few days before, like not so many reservations. And then come the day before, 
or the day itself, all of a sudden there's like 50 people, 60 yeah. people. I'm like, fuck, I didn't prepare this much. What do we do? And you don't just focus on Filipino food. You have, you've had like vegan sushi nights, vegan Indian, Mexican, Korean, Middle Eastern. How is your, yeah. how is your range and palate in food so diverse? Like, did you travel a lot or did you just um, expose yourself to many different... Yeah, I did. I, I have traveled a lot. Like, I've been blessed with that. To have grown up in a family that likes to travel and likes to eat. Yeah, I think I've also experienced just different cuisines. I think mostly I got from my family. Mm-hmm. So all of them sort of... May, most of them, except for maybe my dad, who who hates uh, exotic foods. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> Yeah, Is he like traditionally Filipino? Yeah, and he, and he well, he likes steak. I think yeah, that's about it. I see, it. I see. <laughs> <laughs> he hates Indian food, Korean that's food. That's the opposite of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of got, I think, my taste for my siblings and my mom. And, oh. um, yeah, we always like trying different things. Yeah. Yeah, even if I've, I haven't been to that country, like I've never been to India or Japan, but I guess from just from eating in those types of restaurants, yeah, I am familiar with how it should taste. Yeah. I see. And so, yeah, I I think it's kind of easy to recreate. Yeah, so I loved years. it all. I tried it all. Can you guess my favorite? Mm, <laughs> no. What is it? Just guess. Try. Uh, I think Korean? you know. Not the Korean? I still love the Korean, but it's not my 100% huh. favorite. Oh, I have no idea. It's the vegan sushi. Ah, oh, I haven't done that in a while. You haven't done that in a while, but when I first... Because the fact is that I am trying to slowly reduce my fish intake. Like, I, my golden rule is, like, I want it to be super local. Like, um, but I do want to kind of reduce the fish. But your sushi is such a good, like, tasty replacement for... You know, like that whole flavor thing that we were talking about. It's just so good. So I, I want to know how you create that specific taste. Cause oh it, my gosh. Huh? it's a secret. Is it a secret? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Usually I just give the recipes. I mean, it's just yeah. really hard to do a vegan sushi that actually tastes good. <laughs> like the sushi rice just has to be very well seasoned. Actually, every component has to be well seasoned. Um, me, I like to put like a pickled veg mm-hmm. in in every sushi. Ooh! So, and some of them I have kimchi, and some others I have like pickled hikama or pickled radish or pickled mm-hmm. carrot. And then I always like to put like something with a bit of bite, something mm-hmm. crunchy, like uh, one of them shiitake tempura sushi mm-hmm. um, has like breaded and deep fried. Um, shiitake mushrooms. Okay. Which gives like a lovely texture. Or like fresh, uh, fresh veggies, mm-hmm. cucumber, some lettuce, mm-hmm. um, spinach. So a combination of text, like wow. texture is something overlooked really a lot. So you're also a very spiritual person, right? Which how I love. You, how did you know? No. <laughs> is there a connection there with? your veganism and spirituality? Mm, no, actually, I'm just joking. <laughs> I guess, I guess. So I, with, with spirituality, I had a, I've had a longer journey with spirituality versus veganism. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I would say there's, there's a connection for sure because 
mm, being spiritual or interested in in you know the essence of our being like it kind of ha- it kind of has to it kind of has to mean you have to think holistically about about everything everyone the world so maybe there's a correlation between being vegan or eating less meat even like caring for the environment caring for yourself and for others caring for your soul recognizing that you know you are you are not your ego or your achievements or material wealth yeah for me it does go hand in hand what do you think wow no i love that yeah it's so funny cuz i don't need, i haven't even thought about how my food choices relate to my spirituality but i think it does like i think the way that i don't know i don't know this is a very new concept for me like really recognizing love i've never thought about this actually before this is the first time <laughs> like but yeah i guess it it is it does seem connected yeah i think in a way that for me food does feed your soul i think and i had a kind of similar um conversation with david from sev in a sense that um food and love is so interconnected and if you are you know if your spirit and your i don't know your goal in life is to live with purpose and love then i think that that also can connect with food in a way that also that it's you know you're trying to nourish your own body but then also kind of spread this message of compassion and and i don't know i totally agree and and um i think like my dream is to have like to be able to grow my own veggies and and you're um, doing that for a bit i think yeah i had like a small garden but yeah. imagine if i I had a sort of farm and could supply myself for a restaurant or a cafe like wow my on own, a lo- my on a bigger produce. scale kind of thing yeah that would be that would be great wow wow so then that you know that connectedness with the earth and really just like nourishing this plant and allowing it to kind of grow from start to finish i mean that in itself becomes this spiritual process right Right. And then knowing that, you know, you didn't put any pesticides or exactly. there are no antibiotics and the food is really healthy for you. Yes. It's whole foods, not processed. And then that's what you're feeding, you know, your guests yeah. at your home. That's, that's love, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ram. <laughs> like I feel, I feel quite bad whenever I... Whenever people want to order like donuts for me, like, cause I know sugar is kind of not so, mm. not the healthy, healthiest thing. Yeah. 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 And so I still do. I make like by request, like cookies, donuts, cakes with sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do kind of, yeah. I'm, maybe I'll try some healthier alternatives. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's now you got me thinking about it too, because I don't think I've ever thought about that until now. So. Where do you see um, Malasa or yourself in general going in the future? Just bettering yourself. Mm, so, yeah, I want to adopt more responsibility. Take more risks is the one I really have trouble with. Mm. You know, like uh, opening a opening a restaurant. That's something I'm really like. I've been like very reluctant with because 
out of because of it's a risk and you know fear of failure those sort of feelings so yeah but in the future i i i just have to work on taking more risks and uh yeah so i'm i'm planning i'm planning for something anyway some things for sure i'll i'll still be in the food industry supplying and feeding the all the vegans and vegan wannabes <laughs> in shagao Rem, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Did you have fun? I really love, I feel like chefs are brilliant. And I think that you, to be honest, you're one of my favorite chefs. Oh, thanks, You opened up a whole new world for me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and I just, you just keep doing what you're doing and spreading this beautiful, like just making people's minds explode with your food. Nice. Thanks so much. Okay, I just want to say that I I have quite a love-hate relationship with with the culinary industry and before covid happened i actually wasn't planning on uh cooking for people uh-huh. after i left kalima so i really wanted to focus on farming wow because i i had been farming yeah the last few years like interning in permaculture farms um yeah i was set but then since covid happened and then i sort of started joining these you know these weekly bazaars uh mm-hmm. these uh, weekly markets i mean yes and then I, I would get such good feedback from people and then people would like ask me to cater for their private events and do pop-ups and because of feedback like exactly like what you're giving me now like positive feedback it it has sort of fueled my love again for for the culinary arts so thank you. Oh, thank you, Ram. You're the best. How are you feeling, Dre? We're going to have so much fun. Yes, yes, we are. I think this is going to be uh, quite exciting. I'm excited. Um, I'm sure you are happy to have me here, but I am very <laughs> thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to be a part of your show, which is Phenomenal. Thank you very much. Andre. So it has been very busy lately. Oh, it's been ridiculous, but fuck yeah. Wait, can, I, can I say that? Yes, oh, you can say Oh, fuck that. yeah. Yeah. It's, can you believe, it's going to be two years in March. Can you, Des, can you fucking believe two years in March? That oh makes, God. that makes wild tentatively two years old in December. Oh, my God. 2020, the year that never was. You know, you tell me it's been two years. I don't fucking believe you. What the fuck is that? Two years? Get the fuck out of here. I know. No, it just doesn't even feel... It feels like one whole... Like, the two years just melded into one in my mind. Yeah. Right? Like, the year that never was. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, also, in retrospect, for many people who've taken it, a year that never was can be a big opportunity to do a lot of changes that they never had the balls to make mm. or had the time or ever had the thought, which is why now I see a very big, let's just say a renaissance, you know, a renaissance and people wow. wanted to take care of themselves, take care of their mind, take care of their spirituality, mm. take care of their own growth. Mm-hmm. You know what? Yes. I'm going to take that month long vacation in Chargao. <laughs> yes. I'm going to go out. Yes. You know what? I'm going to go and spend a few weeks on a beach mm-hmm. and see what opportunities may come in the future. 
I'll be talking a lot about wild because it just, it means a lot to me and I'll tell you why in a bit, but describe wild to us, like why the name wild and what was your whole concept behind it? So we had a lot of brainstorming sessions when we were coming up with the names. We were going to go with something distinctly Filipino. We were going to go with something with more of a Japanese edge. We were going to go with something with a K. Because at the time, everything was K, Kalinao, Kawaiian. You know, it was all these Ks, right? And we were thinking something along those lines until um, the genius of Jove was... Who's your partner? Yes, Jove, who's our partner. He's our boy. You know, that's what we do. Um, The genius of Jove was said, you know what? Let's just call it wild. Wild being definitive, wild being one world, wild wild being strong. And most important for me is wild being boundless, wild not Mm. having a box. Mm. We are free. We are free to do what we want, when we want, because that is wild. If we want to do Filipino, we do Filipino. If I want to put a burger, we put a burger. You know, We, 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 we have the freedom. And for myself, I thrive in that freedom. Yes. I thrive in that that zone. That's where I my creativity can really spark. I definitely want to go back to well, but I, I want to talk about, do you remember the first time that we met? First time <laughs> that we met. I'm not sure you remember, but I remember it. Wait, wait. I'm just trying to do the first time. I mean, <laughs> honestly, the most, the most memorable clearly is your going away party on Canada Day. Okay. So I'm trying to think before that when we met. Okay, so I was sitting with my friend at Karagatan. Am I saying that correctly? Uh-huh, uh-huh, Another uh-huh. K. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right, which was a little kind of sunset dining spot, which was part of Shargao Blue at the time. And mm-hmm. you were you were sitting next to us. And, you know, I heard your booming, vibrant voice. And I so I, I, I swear to God, I remember thinking, I think this guy next to me is from Toronto. <laughs> I swear to God, I don't know what it was, your accent or just the way you spoke. And I was like, no, but it couldn't be. I don't even know any Canadian on here right now. And then my friend who you started chatting to my friend and she turns to me and was like, oh, does this from Toronto too? And I was like, no effing way. I was right. It's like, I felt this Toronto vibe from this person just by the sound of your voice. And then, you know, we were like freaking out like Canadians. And and then you just, you know, we started talking about the places in Toronto and we started talking about, you know, it made me miss Toronto. And we started talking about the restaurants and you worked at these pop-ups, you know, one of my favorite bars, uh, cold tea. Yeah. Right. It's such a crazy small world. And, I just want to talk about your experiences and background in cuisine as a chef. And it, it seems like you've been around these places and just kind of t- take on these, taken on these experiences that led you to this point right now. So tell us about kind of that and, and, and a little bit of your background and, and where you got started. I have been cooking professionally now as of this year, half my life. I have now 18 years under my belt. And that's that's clearly a mi- milestone for sure for me, wow. right? I mean, my God, 18 years. I'm 36, 18 years, bam. I wouldn't be where I am today if not for the risks I have taken. And I wouldn't be who I am today if not for the people I had around me. 
Uh, a kitchen is a pressure cooker. A kitchen is when I first went to a pro- professional kitchen. To me, it, as corny as it sounds, it was a pirate ship. You know, I'm this fresh, like, you know, fresh kid, you know, coming in and I'm around these like battle hardened convicts. You know what I mean? That's really <laughs> what it felt like, wow. which was this very intense situation. And you really do spend your time with those you work with in such pressure that within one to two weeks, they boom, that's your best friend. Yeah. And then so how was that whole experience like? What changed in you? What changed in me? For the longest time while I was in Toronto growing up, I mean, sorry, we need to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. My family immigrated to Canada when I was four years old. Okay. I grew up in Toronto and for most of my formative years, I went to school. I did all the things. My family was, my, my culture was Filipino. My parents' friends were Filipino. You know, I grew up in a very Filipino environment. Uh, my mom would make adobo. She'd make sinigang. I mean, we'd get pandesal every morning. You know what I mean? Like we actually, fortunately for, wait, wait, okay. Backtrack a little bit here, right? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Toronto is an extremely multicultural environment. These were the building blocks of my culinary foundation. In Toronto, with the amount of food around, I can eat Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Hakka Chinese, Hong Kong Chinese. You know, there was such a variety of excellent food to be able to distinguish. There was no fear in trying new things. There was no fear in, there was no shame in sharing a new cuisine. Toronto was cool like that. Mm. They're down. Yo, you want some Jamaican jerk? You're just going to go down to Queen Street, get yourself some Jamaican jerk and a beef patty while you're at it, right? You want some cocoa bread? Hell yeah. Yeah. You know? You you can eat. You can explore cultures through food. That was a very big influence on myself growing up. Influence. Influence is something that's very big on what makes me who I am today. Uh, memory. Yes. Memory makes me, that's what drives a lot of my cuisine. That's mm-hmm. what drives a lot of my food is memory. Mm-hmm. A lot of the dishes I come up with, I try to unlock a particular memory that I've had, if not in my childhood, in my adolescence, in something there that I want to recreate and share. And when I see that I'm successful and people enjoy it, I see that spark Ugh. You know? Right? That's that's it's, that's the special. Okay. Okay, yo, listen up, right? Chefs are crazy. Chefs are stupid. <laughs> Chefs are honestly idiots, right? We are the, I'd say, one of the most industries of instant gratification. We thrive on instant gratification. Our worlds revolve in basically a one to three day sphere of ordering and cooking and prepping. Because mm-hmm. generally you're prepping for about two, three days ahead. And yes. that's the whole sphere. When we send out food, I don't have to wait two weeks to see what the review is. I always have an open kitchen. I want to see the guest. Yeah. 
I want to see them taste. I want to see them eat. I want to see them smile. I, I want to see the reaction. And we get that instantaneously. One of the reasons why I think I'm just such a big fan and a big kind of huge advocate for Wild and since you guys opened, I think for me, and especially growing up in the U.S. and Canada, in these major New York, North American cities, you want to go to a, if you want to go to a fancy restaurant, say, the first thing that people say is like, oh, let's go to an Italian restaurant, let's go to a French restaurant, right? You would never really think Filipino. And I think what you're doing and what I love about Wild is that you are kind of elevating Filipino food and F Filipino cuisine in such a way that's so authentic and innovative. And for me, so when you talk about Toronto, I think one of the first times that I experienced, you know, a Filipino food in kind of that beautiful, elevated expression was um, this chef named Danny uh, Cancino, who opened, uh, he was a chef of, the head chef of La Mesa. Mm -hmm. La Mesa, yeah. Yes. So you've heard of it. Uh, that was on college, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Good memory. La Mesa was the first in Toronto to put Filipino food first. Before that, Filipino food, this is something that I saw also. And even when I was younger was always like, I always felt Filipino food was underrepresented. Yes. It was always ca like cafeteria style, you know, in uh, hotel pans, in a heating thing, like a cafeteria. And I'm like, yo, what do you mean? You can't just heat it up in a pot and put it on a plate and make it look nice. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. a very big frustration going up. And Filipino food hasn't, it, it was not noticed. It was very hidden. Definitely. And big props to La Mesa for helping bring the, bring attention to it. Exactly. You know? It's I grown a lot. And many other Filipino chefs in Toronto, the Toronto scene has grown ex exponentially. Here's the thing with me. I feel like there are some foreigners, especially, who say things to my face, <laughs> like Filipino food is not as good as Thai food or Chinese food. Mm. And for some reason, it I get so defensive. It, it's almost like a stab in the stomach. As someone who has grown up in the U.S. and Canada um, since I was two years old and losing kind of these cultural, losing my Filipino-ness almost, mm -hmm. you know, I think that the one thing that I can hold on to as deeply in my connection with my roots is food, right? The process of it, the, um, you know, the events, like the gatherings, the family gatherings, like the memory of it, it almost becomes in conjunction with love and, and my culture and just understanding myself more as, um, a Filipino woman now, <laughs> the memory of it and mm -hmm. the tastes that I recognize now, it becomes like a flashback into my past and that memory and all of the emotions that come with it. And I think when people say Filipino food is not as good, it almost seems like they're rejecting an identity, like a part of yes. my identity that I love so much and that I can try to hold on to. So I get real snappy. Like, I don't know, mm -hmm. I, I become all Jersey on them. <laughs> you know? And they're like, whoa, whoa. But of course, it's like everyone's preferences are so different. But 
I, I think it's it's all of that too. And I think that Filipinos especially have this very strong connection to food that's mm-hmm. different than a lot. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being biased, but it's very different from many cultures. It's so tightly associated with food and family and love. Mm-hmm. Filipino food was my cultural bridge. Yes. Growing up in Toronto, um, I, I'm, I'm white. You know, look at me. I'm white. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Filipino, Spanish, Portuguese, Irish. Wow. People always ask, Who, who's Filipino, your mom or your dad? I say both. Yes. My mom is Filipino, Spanish, Portuguese. My dad's Filipino, Spanish, Irish. Both wow. are multi-generational Filipino. Uh-huh. Um, and we're immigrants. I'm an immigrant from the Philippines in Canada. And when I tell people I'm Filipino, the question marks in their eyes. Now, not only when I tell people, but particularly if I tell Filipinos, it would always be disbelief. No, you're not Filipino. No, no. And, you know, that was an identity that I would always have to explain. That was, that was always something with me growing up. I had to explain consistently. Nobody ever would believe me off the bat. It would never be, ah, okay. It would always be, no. It would always be dismissal. And food was my bridge. Mm. I would say, okay, you don't believe me? My mom ate dinola last night. What are you going to do? What do you want? You know? Like, I think tonight we're having adobo. She's going to make a beautiful sinigang. You know, like lumpia is my favorite thing. You know, like pancit. Spaghetti, you know, it's just, you know, the, the list goes on, mm-hmm. but it's just, you'd, oh, I would always have to explain. And food was how I could bridge that disconnect. How did those experiences and those childhood memories kind of bring you to creating something like Wild, where for me, I mean, what my favorite dish, oh my God, Daing Nabangos. Yes. The marinated milkfish with mango, guisado, calabasa puree, and garlic kangkong. That the inspiration came from that came from, I guess, well, clearly my mom. But mm-hmm. I mean, like cooking at home. How would my mom serve bungus? Now, bungus is distinctly Filipino. Yes, everybody loves bungus. You know, back in Toronto, you buy that frozen bungus. It's already marinated, right, in those packs, and it's butterflied. And I thought that's how the fish came in. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh my god, it's a regular shaped fish, right? What the fuck is that? And so I, I thought that that's what the fish looked like until I come here, and I'm like, that's a bungus. Get the fuck out of here, right? So. You know, that's that's my memories, you know. My memories are very particular to how I grew up. Very different than, I guess, people who grew up here with other of their own memories. But I'm fortunate enough to have a very... My mom loves to cook. My titas love to cook. My mm-hmm. mom's side of the family are phenomenal chefs and cooks in their own right. And I grew up in a the cart of the kitchen. You know, the kitchen's the heart of the, of the house. Yeah. And I that's the that's how I grew up. Instead of helping my dad in the garage, I'm in the kitchen with my mom. You know, first thing I ever learned how to cook was leche flan. Whoa. And I was like six years old making leche flan. You know what I mean? That's that's the memory. And that's why that's something very dear to my heart. Um, and like with the bangus, when my mom makes bangus, it's fried. So if it's fried, then you serve it with something like mongo. You know, that's that's the way my mind connects. I see. You know, and... 
you have that, then that's that's what completes the dish, as opposed to just having the fish and having the mungo separately and having all these different side dishes. To be able to turn it into a composed dish is, I guess, kind of what I'm going for, you yeah. know, as opposed to just having the different pieces of the puzzle to complete it, to have something complete. What would it take for people to kind of see it the same way as, say, Italian or French cuisine? Or do you even want that to be? Like, what? what is your mission, really? Now, to say if it were to be Italian or French, that's very particular. Now, why wouldn't you say Chinese or Thai? Now, keep in mind, in Toronto, if you go to a Chinese restaurant, is it high-end? Mm-hmm. Or is it a hole in the wall? If you go to a Vietnamese restaurant on Spadina, mm-hmm. or you go to a Thai restaurant, mm-hmm. there's... A misconception that Asian food needs to be cheap. Mm-hmm. Asian food needs to be a hole in the wall. Asian food shouldn't have tablecloths or napkins. Asian food should be self-service. Mm-hmm. It must be cheap because it's Asian. I beg to differ. Yes. I feel the effort that goes in can very well be as much effort as in other more notable cuisines. Now, if it were to be... Elevated as to, say, Italian or French. I think time. Mm. Time. Food is impermanent. Food trends revolve and turn. It's fluid. You know, it does. it's not one thing that's the big thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Much like fashion, tastes change. Tastes come back. Tastes come back completely different than what was allowed before. You know, that's the beauty of food. That's the beauty of taste is that nothing is wrong. Nothing is different. Everything is possible. It just might not be the right time. But like an egg, you can cook one egg a million different ways. What are your hopes and dreams for Wilds or yourself in general in the future? With with the future, I see myself in Chargao. Um, for the longest time, I, I was in Baraka. I was in Baraka on and off for 13 years. Never did I think I would leave. I was in paradise. I was in the place that I was meant to be, but it got very small for me. Chargao mm. is opportunity. Chargao is youth. The other restaurants and chefs here are not driven by... Yes, of course, everybody's driven by business, but then there's also a personal stake at it. A lot of the chefs here want to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And right now, Chargao is in that golden age. I experienced the tail end of Barakai, and I am so lucky to be experiencing it here in Chargao as well. To have this opportunity twice in my life is phenomenal. Quite insane, really. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, really, you know, like to be able to live how I live. Um, I'm like some punk kid from Toronto, Canada, you know, like I'd take the TTC, you know, like, and here we are, you know, living our dreams. Wow. But no, 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 there's, there's, again, there's just so much love here. There's so much love on this island, the, the vibe everybody's down, everybody's cool, everybody's living their dream. That is what I I live for on an island, okay? It's we are surrounded by positive vibrations all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't have people coming in for a business lunch, having to be at work at 3 p.m. 
You know, we have people coming in who want to hear a story, who want to tell their story, who want to be a part of the island, who want to leave a part of themselves here, mm. take a part of the island with them. This is very, very important. This is why this, this is why the trees are so lush. This is why the birds sing. This is why the fish frolic in the ocean. You know what I mean? It's just good vibes. It's good energy. And that is something that feeds all of us. A huge thank you to chefs David, Rem, and Dre for their time and energy. I never thought I'd get so emotional talking about food, but I did just because these chefs and their stories and love for what they do and create for people is so pure and beautiful to see. So thank you for sharing your craft and creations with all of us. Don't forget to support their restaurants and endeavors. That's Sev, Malasa, and Wild, and experience that food love for yourself. Sending all of my light and love from Shargao. Bye for now. Bye.